Russia-Ukraine war Kim's tour stops in Russia highlight increasing military ties with Moscow. Cho Sang-hun Karan Demirjian Gaya Guptapal San Jeffrey Get Lehman. While in Russia, the North Korean leader has visited a plant that makes fighter jets and viewed rockets similar to the ones his country hopes to build to launch military satellites. Here's what we're covering. Kim Jong-un toured Russian military-related facilities on Friday as Moscow tempts the North Korean leader with sophisticated technology he would like to obtain for his isolated nation, but which United Nations sanctions largely prohibit. Mr. Kim visited a plant that makes fighter jets in the eastern Russian city of Komsomolskonomor on Friday, two days after. Meeting President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia at the Vostokny Cosmodrome, where the North Korean leader viewed powerful rockets similar to the ones he hopes to build to launch military satellites. In the coming days, Mr. Kim is also expected to visit Russia's Pacific Fleet, according to Mr. Putin. Though it is unclear which facilities he will visit, the fleet includes a large number of modernized submarines, the likes of which North Korea would like to develop. Mr. Kim's tour schedule seemed designed not only to impress the North Korean leader with Russia's scientific abilities in the military sphere but also underscores how Moscow could exacerbate the North Korean threat in response to Western support for Ukraine. United Nations sanctions ban financial, technological or other aid for North Korean weapons programs, including its space program, which is seen as being tied to ballistic missile development. But Mr. Putin said after meeting Mr. Kim that there were still some prospects for military cooperation. He didn't say what those were. On Friday morning, Mr. Kim arrived in Komsomolskonomor and visited the Yuri Gagarin aircraft plant where Russian civilian and military planes are made, including Su-35 and Su-57 fighter jets, according to TASS, the Russian state news agency. The plant is named after the Soviet cosmonaut who was the first person in space. Mr. Kim's tour of the Russian aviation factory highlighted his ambitions to modernize his country's aging air force. Many of its warplanes are museum pieces, old Soviet models provided by Moscow during the 1950-53 Korean War. North Korea, hamstrung by international sanctions, has also struggled to secure fuel and parts for its planes. Still, the nation has found ways around UN restrictions. In 2013, when the Panamanian authorities stopped the North Korean cargo ship, Chongchon Gang, they found 25 shipping containers loaded with two disassembled MiG-21 jet fighters, 15 MiG-21 engines, and missile and other arms components from Cuba. They were hidden under 10,000 tons of sugar. During the Kim Putin meeting earlier this week, Russia and North Korea agreed to broad cooperation in the face of their common foe, the United States, as the war in Ukraine grinds on. Neither government has released details of that cooperation. But Moscow sought to bring North Korea into its supply chain of artillery shells and missiles to help aid its war in Ukraine in return for providing Pyongyang with military and satellite technology, said Kim Jong-dae, a military expert in South Korea. U.S. officials have repeatedly warned that North Korea is already providing shells and army rockets to Russia. On his trip, Mr. Kim has been accompanied by senior officials in charge of his country's military and defense industry. Mr. Putin has accepted Mr. Kim's invitation to visit North Korea, again at a convenient time, Pyongyang and Moscow said on Thursday. Mr. Putin also visited Pyongyang in 2000. The State of the War 
Putin-Kim meeting The summit in eastern Russia between President Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea, signaled a potential new era in relations between Moscow and Pyongyang. Korean weapons Desperate for munitions for the war in Ukraine, the United States and Russia have turned to their allies in South and North Korea, which kept stockpiling arms for decades after their own conflict. Russia's missile arsenal Russia has overcome sanctions imposed by the West to expand its missile production beyond pre-war levels, officials said, leaving Ukraine especially vulnerable this winter. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, will visit Washington next week following his appearance at the United Nations General Assembly, according to three U.S. officials. Mr. Zelensky's plan to appear in person before the General Assembly on Wednesday, as part of the UN's annual gathering in New York City, was previously known. But his follow-on trip to Washington, where he is expected to meet with President Biden at the White House and members of Congress on Capitol Hill, has not yet been announced officially. It comes as the Biden administration works to shore up support in Congress for an additional $24 billion in military and humanitarian aid for Ukraine amid a grinding Ukrainian counteroffensive that has so far yielded disappointing results. Mr. Zelensky insists that Ukraine can still make major gains. Mr. Zelensky last visited Washington in December, where he addressed Congress and urged the continued supply of American weapons for his country's battle against Russia, which is about to enter its 19th month. Since then, anxiety has grown among Ukraine's supporters as they have watched a decline in U.S. public support for continuing aid to the country. Mr. Zelensky is not expected to make a formal public speech to Congress this time but is expected to hold meetings at the Capitol, including with congressional leaders, according to aides familiar with the plans. Although most lawmakers still support aid for Ukraine, a growing chorus of right-wing Republicans, most of them in the House, has been trying to curtail assistance and even threatening to block measures to fund the federal government if they include what they call a blank check for Ukraine. Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who faces a rebellious far-right flank of his party that could cost him his job, has appeared to wobble under the pressure not to replenish the funds, despite previously saying that he backed continued aid for Ukraine. He is considering pushing ahead with a supplemental funding bill that would focus exclusively on domestic matters such as emergency disaster assistance and border security, putting additional funding for Ukraine at risk. The Biden administration has remained resolute. During a visit to Kiev, the Ukrainian capital, last week, Secretary of State Antony J. Blinken vowed that the United States would continue to support Ukraine. Mr. Zelensky's planned visits come amid reports that the Biden administration may be nearing a decision on sending Ukraine long-range army tactical missile systems known as ADAGMS, which Ukrainian officials say they need to make major advances against Russia. Ukrainian officials have said in recent weeks that they are hopeful that Mr. Biden will approve the weapons. A day after the publication of an investigation by two cybersecurity watchdogs showing that a cell phone belonging to the chief executive of an exiled, independent Russian news website had been infected by Pegasus surveillance spyware, several other journalists and media workers for Russian news outlets were reported to have, like her received earlier notifications from Apple that their iPhones may have been targeted by state-sponsored attackers.
Pegasus, which is made by the Israeli firm NSO Group, is a zero-click software that can, without needing any triggering action by a recipient, remotely extract messages, contacts, photos and videos from the target's mobile phone. Released in 2011 and sold under Israeli Defense Ministry license to law enforcement and intelligence agencies around the world, including the FBI, it has been used to help capture drug lords, thwart terrorist plots and fight organized crime. But New York Times investigations have revealed that the spyware has also been used by some governments, including Mexico, the United Arab Emirates, and Saudi Arabia, to spy on journalists and human rights activists. The United States blacklisted NSO Group in November 2021. According to the two cybersecurity watchdogs whose report was published on Wednesday, the investigation was set off after an Apple notification of a possible state-sponsored attack was sent in June to the iPhone of Galina Timchenko, the co-founder, chief executive, and publisher of Medusa, a prominent Russian independent media outlet operating in exile in Europe. Medusa reached out to one of the watchdogs, AccessNow, which in collaboration with Citizen Lab at the University of Toronto's Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy, determined that Ms. Tomchenko's phone had been infected while she was in Germany two weeks after Russia deemed Medusa an undesirable organization in January. The watchdog said it was the first documented case of Pegasus being used on a Russian journalist. On Thursday, Yevgeny Ehrlich, the former editor-in-chief of the Baltic-based news program for the Russian independent media outlet, Current Time, posted on Facebook that he had received the Apple notification and warned his readers that their prior communications with him might have been breached. Mr. Ehrlich's phone had a Latvian SIM card, as did Ms. Timchenko's, according to his Facebook post. He wrote that his phone would sometimes heat up or start messaging groups on its own. Novaya Gazeta Europe, an independent Russian news outlet, also reported on Thursday that its general director, Maria Epifanova, and a Baltic correspondent, Evgeny Pavlov, received similar notifications from Apple. The notifications are designed to inform users who may have been targeted by state-sponsored attacks, which are highly complex, cost millions of dollars to develop, and often have a short shelf life, according to an Apple support page. Such attacks apply exceptional resources to target a very small number of specific individuals and their devices, which makes these attacks much harder to detect and prevent. Russia expelled two American diplomats on Thursday, officially declaring them persona non grata and requiring them to leave the country within seven days. In a statement, the Russian Foreign Ministry said Jeffrey Sillin, a first secretary at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, and David Bernstein, a second secretary, would be required to leave the country for conducting illegal activities. The expulsion relates to a case that Russian authorities have brought against Robert Shanov, a Russian citizen who worked at the U.S. consulate in Vladivostok. He then became a private contractor for the U.S. Embassy in Moscow in April 2021 as Russia forced the U.S. diplomatic mission in the country to dismiss nearly all its local staff. Last month, Russian authorities charged Mr. Shanov with illegally collecting information about the war in Ukraine and passing it to Mr. Sillin and Mr. Bernstein at the U.S. Embassy. The charges could lead to a punishment of three to eight years in prison. The State Department did not immediately comment on the expulsions on Thursday. But a spokesman, Matthew Miller, has described the case as wholly without merit. 
he has said that Mr. Shanov's job was to summarize news media reports from publicly available Russian media sources and has noted the activities did not violate Russian law. He said Mr. Shanov's arrest only highlights the increasingly repressive actions the Russian government is taking against its own citizens. The Russian Foreign Ministry said in its statement that the U.S. Ambassador to Russia, Lynn Tracy, was summoned Thursday to receive news of the expulsions, as well as a warning about interference in the internal affairs of the host country. Moscow has taken action against other Americans living in Russia in the months since launching its invasion of Ukraine. Evan Gershkovich, an American reporter for The Wall Street Journal, was arrested on a reporting trip in Russia in March and accused of espionage, charges that both the newspaper and the American government have vehemently denied. The United States has said he is wrongfully detained. Checkpoints ring the city. Police officers with Kalashnikovs strapped to their chests block the roads. Cars are searched. Documents are scrupulously checked. Every year, at Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, thousands of Hasidic Jews converge on the small city of Yumen, in central Ukraine, to throw a big party. The war hasn't changed that, this Rosh Hashanah the crowds are expected to be even bigger than they have been in years. And security is tight. Ukraine's airspace has been close to civilian traffic since the war began, so for the past few days, from Moldova, Poland, Hungary and Romania, throngs of men in long black coats and stiff black hats have been pouring across Ukraine's borders, defying travel warnings, as they did last year, to stay away. The draw? To worship at the grave of a famous rabbi who was full of life and died in Yemen more than 200 years ago. This rabbi, Nachman of Breslov, a town near Yumen, celebrated happiness. He said that expressing joy, vibrant, exuberant joy, was a way to get closer to God. His followers believe that by praying and partying in Yumen on the Jewish New Year, they will secure blessings for the next 12 months. So they pump klezmer music. They grab each other and dance arm and arm in the streets. They drink wine and hang out with their buddies, hundreds of buddies. Yumin's officials said Thursday that they were ready for all this though they and other Ukrainian officials had tried to warn people from coming this year. More than 30,000 visitors, mostly from Israel and mostly men, are expected. It's hard work, said Zoya Vavk, a spokeswoman for Yumin's police. Just look at the volume of people. And don't forget, we are at war. She stood at a checkpoint wearing a freshly pressed uniform and blue baseball cap, her ponytail pulled through the back, eyeing the people streaming past. In the past, there has been some friction between worshippers and residents. But the event is also a huge moneymaker for Yumin, bringing in tens of millions of dollars each year, so the city is reluctant to stop it. The main activities begin Friday evening after sundown, but by Thursday afternoon the party had already started. Hey, wait up! Israel Moyle, a photographer from Jerusalem, yelled to some friends who were disappearing into the growing crowd. The sun beamed down, a breeze stirred the leaves in the trees, and the smell of kosher pizza wafted through the air. We pray together, we dance together, Mr. Moyle explained as he half-walked, half-jogged to catch up. It's the unity, man. It's joy.